I wanted to go in the great glass elevator. I cannot explain to you all how much I wanted to be in the great glass elevator. You could see everything. It was glass. <laughs> you, you could. <laughs> that's what glass. I'm that's glass. <laughs> That sounds so stupid saying that loud, but it was so true. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who checked out their library books by sliding the card out of the pocket and signing their name in pencil in their best cursive handwriting. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today we'll be saving our very first chapter books. The ones our teachers read to us, one chapter at a time, after recess, while we sat on the floor at their feet. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Hello world, is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book, a reading rainbow. Even if you're not a big reader, you probably have memories of a teacher reading to you from a big book with chapters, a little bit every day. It was a time when nothing else was asked of you. There was no test afterwards, no worksheet. You didn't have to raise your hand and answer tricky questions. All you had to do was listen and enjoy. For some, it was an introduction to books with chapters, maybe before you could read those on your own. And for some, it was an oasis in a day that was otherwise filled with new math and SRA. And when we asked our society about the books their teachers read, there was so much overlap in the titles that we saw. This is another one of our shared experiences as Gen Xers. We were all on the floor listening to pretty much the same books. And exactly no one commented about not liking read aloud time. Everyone had happy, warm feelings for these books, even if they weren't big readers themselves. You guys are readers, you're teachers, you're writers. I know you have memories of those first read aloud books, right? Well, <laughs> well, you know, I've said many times here that I feel like I've lost specific memories of watching certain TV shows or listening to certain Uh, songs and specific albums, but books, the characters and stories are honestly the things that I remember so well. And probably because I spent so much time with them. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, also listeners and longtime listeners and you guys that I had to move a lot as a child. And so the books though, they went with me and the Mm -hmm. characters, they were my friends and the stories were familiar and such a comfort. What I can remember about read alouds though Uh, you asked, Kristen, um, is I remember sitting on the floor in a long train and we would scratch each other's backs or we would braid each other's hair. Um, And then as a fourth and fifth grade teacher in the early 90s, I'd sit up in my director's chair and sometimes I'd let the little girls come up and scratch my back or braid my hair while I read. They always (laughs) asked. Um, And we had read aloud in my classroom. We had it when I was the teacher. We had read aloud right after lunch and it was 
everyone's favorite time of the day, hands mm-hmm. down, mine included. And I would let my kids color. I would let them scratch each other's backs. And every single day, every day, they would beg me to keep reading when that 20 minutes was up. Oh, and I would yummy? almost always give in because I didn't want it to be over either. It's my favorite. Right. Yeah, I know that um, we're talking a lot about the specific books in this episode, but a lot of my memories, kind of um, like what you were saying, Michelle, are tied to that experience, like the anticipation after lunch or recess, walking back to the classroom, mm-hmm. and you knew that was on the horizon. And then again, sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor next to hopefully your friend that was going to braid your hair mm-hmm. or scratch your back. Isn't that so cool that we all did that? I mean, I'm just thinking like we can all relate Mm -hmm. to that. And you guys, I have these distinct memories of my teachers opening the book, like finding where they were with Mm -hmm. a bookmark. Like that's, I would see that little tassel hanging over. That was Mm -hmm. my go-to teacher's gift when I was in elementary school. I would give my teacher a bookmark. I love bookmarks. And I I would just love bookmarks. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you could tell how much left you had in the book or the teacher yeah. had left to read aloud by where that bookmark was. And I could see in my mind the way they held the book because you had to hold the book a special way. It wasn't like a picture book that you held out to the side um, and they had to hold it in one hand so they could turn the page. And often they'd lick their finger. Right now I'm licking my <laughs> finger, listeners. And I always thought that was really cool to turn the page. So mm-hmm. those are some really um, distinct memories. And some of my teachers had the most melodic voices oh. or the ones that could change their voices for the different characters and had the inflection. Oh, those were like the best. Mm-hmm. That was That's just the best moment. I mm-hmm. loved it. And um, again, like you, Michelle, too, being a teacher, loved reading aloud to my students. I taught sixth grade. So I'm at middle school now. And some people might think, oh, well, that's too old to read aloud. Mm-mm. No, no, no. My summer before I my first year teaching, I went to a workshop all about the importance of reading aloud as long as the kids were in school. And even think about it, when we're listening to Audible or audiobooks, are we not being read aloud to? Your How brain does different things yeah. when you're being read to versus reading yourself. Yeah. And so, it's helpful for a lot of kids. You know, there's so many different learning styles. And so it's really helpful to a lot of kids. I think I think it would be beneficial for high school teachers to still read aloud yep. because there's such amazing novels. You know, speaking to that, reading to them as they're older, Carolyn, it's a mm-hmm. very collective experience. It's not something we do individually. It's sharing literature together as a group. And you think right. about, you know, what, what what happened in that classroom when Old Yeller died? And all the children are collectively feeling these really big emotions and they're all there for each other and they all go out on the playground and they've all experienced the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. a moment. exactly. And their teacher experiences that emotion too. I think it was probably for my students, some of the first times they saw me as a person, like, oh, my teacher's crying or, you know, she's emotional about this scene. And I got to say for sixth graders, my read aloud time was probably the only time of the day that I had their rapt attention. Mm-hmm. The eyes were on me. It was totally quiet. I can't say that that happened any other time of the school day. So it was special on a multitude of levels. And my mouth just like opened really wide. <laughs> that's such a that's such a big statement, Carolyn. It's the only time you had every student's attention. Yes. I'm wondering about, I want to know if you And I was a good teacher. Them. I just, I feel like I need to say, <laughs> it's not like I was a bad teacher. Wait, you didn't listen. tap dance just... on your desk, <laughs> like I did? What? 
Carolyn. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to know um, if you have any recollections of those first of your very first read aloud book because I have such strong memories of that. And part of it is um, that I didn't know that this was something that you could do. I didn't know you could stop in the middle of the day and right. read a long book. I called it a long book or a big book, mm-hmm. and just stop the school day to do that. And then there was something so. Um, so gratifying about seeing, like you talked about the bookmark moving, that mm-hmm. we were so mature, we were so right. big that we could handle a book that was so big that we couldn't even finish it in one day. We had to use a bookmark. <laughs> Right. That was very profound to me. Right. And so the one that I remember as being the very first one was Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing by Judy Bloom. Of course, it was in second grade at St. Anthony Park Elementary School, and my teacher was Miss Swartz. I was a brand new student. I had just moved from California, and um, this was – so everything was different in Minnesota, even the fact that we would read a big book. The teacher was going to read this big book to us. And it turns out I was not the only one that had Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing read in my class. Many of you also heard this book from your teachers, including a Washington Post writer named Mary Jane Williams. And she says, I have fond memories of Mrs. Bartlett, my third grade teacher, reading it aloud to my class. Fudge and his exasperated older brother Peter were my introduction to the world of Bloom before I was old enough for Margaret or Blubber or Deanie. And I loved them. And I never thought of that before. That's what Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing is. It's getting Mm -hmm. us ready Mm -hmm. for all of Judy Bloom's other books. So Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, if you don't remember, is a story of a boy named Peter Warren Hatcher, a.k.a. Pita. I loved how Miss Swartz said Pita. Mm -hmm. And his relationship with his two-and-a-half-year-old brother, Farley Drexel Hatcher, also known as Fudge. Who doesn't know Fudge? The whole world knows who Fudge (laughs) is. And this book is basically a collection of Fudge's hilarious antics and how they drive Peter crazy, like throwing a temper tantrum tantrum in the shoe store or smearing mashed potatoes on the walls at Hamburger Heaven. Or do you remember how Mr. Hatcher got fired from the Juicio account? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And ultimately, Fudge swallows Mm -hmm. Peter's pet turtle dribble. Nobody doesn't Mm -hmm. remember this. This is also the first time, thank you to Ms. Swartz, that I realized that books could be funny. Big books, I thought, had to be serious. I didn't know they could be funny. And I can trace a straight line from Fudge and Pita to the books that I write today. Mm-hmm. Instead of Peter, I have Millie. Instead of Fudge, I have Billy. Instead of temper tantrums, I have um, Billy smells a travel size men's deodorant that he keeps in his front pocket. <laughs> It's there's no way that that didn't influence what I do today. It's pretty profound. Um, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing was also my first exposure to New York City. I had Mm -hmm. up to this point, I had only lived in rural areas and suburban areas. And the idea that children could live in an apartment building, that was very romantic to me. He had a doorman. Jimmy Fargo lived on another floor. It was very cool. Sheila was there. Sheila Tubman was there. Yeah, it was so unlike the ranch houses on the cul-de-sacs in my neighborhood. And this was a signal to me that not everyone lives like me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tales of Fourth Grade Nothing is, to this day, one of my favorite books. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. as a 53-year-old woman, what Mm -hmm. are your favorite books? Oh, I don't know, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. And and Super Fudge. I still have my my copy, my original copy of Super Fudge is right here. Um, But you guys... 
all of the stuff you just mentioned, but I would say when I look back too at things that happened in books that I still that that affected me is dribble. One of them is dribble. That was a moment. That's something Mm -hmm. that stuck with me for so long, so much so that when I would read and reread and reread this book, I almost didn't ever want to. I'd get to that part and I would just go, you know, go forward really quickly because I didn't (laughs) want to read it. When I read it to Liam, I read it to him in kindergarten, and at the end of the book, he was like, "What about the turtle?" Right? And I said, "It's it's okay. The turtle came out. Fudge is just fine." And he no, said, no, but the turtle. The turtle. <laughs> and I, oh, um, he's dead. But that's, that, the, that that's the part. occurred to me. Turtles, no, but that's the tr- part dribbles, in there. Yeah. That's, poor Pita has to go through that. They're, the parents yes. are actually saying that, like, don't worry, because Pita's crying. And they're saying, mm-hmm. don't worry, your brother's okay. Fudgy's just fine. Yes. Fudgy's going to be fine. <laughs> and Pita's like, I don't give a damn about fudge <laughs> what about dribble and they're like oh well and then they they're like peter warren hatcher how dare they get really mad at him for mm-hmm. worrying more about dribble and i'm like i was right with him like yeah. are you kidding me with this <laughs> <laughs> right we had such a good time reading that book unfortunately that end ruined it because he could not take his focus off of mom the turtle <laughs> i know oh, and i felt like such a bad mom that i didn't pick up on that right away I have a memory of two only in my whole school career, and I'll share Mm -hmm. those in a minute. And I'm guessing that's because I went to nine schools. Like, I don't even remember half of my teacher's names. Yeah. But but Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing is one I remember reading to myself. I'm quite certain it was read aloud to me by a – I mean, it was the 70s, right? Everybody was reading that aloud. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Carolyn, what about you? Do you have a – do you have any titles um, you remember? Yeah, I do. I I remember How to Eat Fried Worms, and I believe that was probably my first read aloud because – I would have been in second grade. It was published in 1973, and it was actually not my classroom teacher that read it. Our school librarian read it to us, and we – I don't – it wasn't a very thick book, so um, I do believe it went a week in between hearing it. Chapters. Yeah, in between chapters, Mm -hmm. and so it was always fun because she'd say, okay, who remembers what happened last time? And you'd always want to be the person who could recite what happened last (laughs) time and put us back in that place. So um, I loved that book. But honestly, and really what I realized as I was doing research for this episode is that there are scenes, there are moments from these books that I remember. In some cases, I might not have even remembered the plot very well, but these scenes, and there's this, let me give you a little background if you don't remember how to eat fried worms. We've got a boy named Billy, and Billy is um, in a challenge to see if he can eat 15 worms in 15 days. If he can, he's going to win $50, which will allow him to buy this mini bike that he really wants. A so mini he, bike. That is such a, a mini bike. Thing. Isn't that fun? For <laughs> yeah. $50, mm-hmm. too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what I remember is the descriptions of how he is going to eat these fried worms. Save ya. <laughs> and I, if you had said, Carolyn, what do you remember about this? It is that, well, especially the one scene where he puts ketchup and mustard and horseradish <laughs> yes. and maple syrup, all of these condiments on his worm. And I remember being that little girl sitting there going, like, is it a hot dog? Is he going to eat it like a hot dog? How is this going to work? I mean, those to me were things that you put on a hot dog. And 
that scene and just seeing all the boys like looking and is he going to do it? Um, and then again, when it's cooked in a frying pan. So each time it's yeah, prepared yeah. a little differently. So it's those. Prepared. Kind of, and yes. isn't there one, Carolyn, where he like has to slurp, like he just has to like, like slurps it Let down it go down. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. I feel like there's, because I agree with you. So this is, remember when I said I have two titles I remember? Mm-hmm. This is one of them, How to Eat Fried mm-hmm. Worms. I remember that being read aloud to us for the very same reason. Because it was, and going back to what you said, Kristen, it was such a collective experience. We yeah. were all, ew, 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 exactly. Ew. The and the teacher let us. The teacher let us just be go with it. And we would laugh so hard. And then it was, ew, no. And then probably the boys or some of the girls were like, I do it. Or, you know, all this stuff. And so I remember that one so well. And then that became a book that I loved to read to myself. But mm-hmm. I remember um, another one I'm going to share later, my second one that I remember, same Carolyn, it's not as much like if you had me two weeks ago give you chronological order of the plot, I don't think I would re- I could do it. But I will tell you in a little bit, there are certain things about these books that I, because they elicited a feeling in me, and I still mm-hmm. have that feeling to this day. Right. Mm-hmm. Which and is, I would say that is that is the sign of a good book. Oh, yeah. We're not like, what is the artistry of a good book? It's not necessarily a good plot. It's how they write those mm. things for you to make you feel the feelings that stay with you for a long time, including all the way till you're 53 years old. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the way that's the still teachers, with you today. And the way the teachers, and in this case, my librarian would have read them because they would make the faces of like <laughs> what probably Billy was doing. And you saw your teacher or this adult kind of in a different light. I mean, they beca- kind of became an actor. And it was really, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of goofy. It was and not fun. serious. Um, yeah. How to Eat Fried Worms, it was, it was kind of a phenomenon in my school. I don't want to say, I mean, nothing's ever going to reach the level of phenomenon of Harry Potter. But nonetheless, it was something that raced through our school like wildfire. Even if not everybody was reading it, maybe their teacher was reading it. But it was just something that we were all talking about and in awe of. Exactly like you said, Carolyn, like, oh my God, would you ever? Right. It was the would you ever on the playground. It went with us everywhere in the school. How I'd love to runs. know how many kids in the 70s, and listeners, if you're one of them, let us know, actually tried it. How many oh, that's kids actually question. took some of those suggestions mm-hmm. and were like, let's oh, wow. do it. Let's do it after mm-hmm. school. Let's see if we can put ketchup and mustard on a worm and eat it. Well, I will tell you, I think there were some parents and some community members who were a little bit um, worried about that exact thing, Michelle, because believe it or not, this book appears on banned book lists. What? Are you kidding Uh me? Uh And So why, you would say? And one is because of the betting and the gambling in it. So this $50 (laughs) wager on the eating fried worms is some inappropriate behavior. As is um, this depraved behavior of eating worms. Like, we don't want to teach our children to do this. And so it's like teaching, we're going to teach them to eat worms. Here's how you can prepare your worms. And now go out and do it and be free spirits. Uh, But I just had to laugh when I read that. What books aren't? I mean, I get that's a whole nother episode, but golly jeepers. Um, yeah, they were worried. <laughs> well, here's jeepers. the thing, parents. Here's the thing, book banners. If you don't want your kids to eat worms, just tell them not to eat worms. Yeah. Don't yeah. take away a really good book no. that's super funny that entertains everybody. No. Just tell your kids not to eat worms. Right. You don't have or to take about, the book. Or how about, here's oh the God. thing, book banners. If you don't want your kids to read a book, tell them um, they should read it. And then they won't. <laughs> Tell them it's your favorite book. Right. Tell them that you're going to read it together because it was yes. your favorite and they totally have to read it. And then yeah. your kid will never read the book and you'll That's be That's exactly right. 
my experience. Um, do you guys do you want to hear a fun fact about Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing? Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you guys know who it's dedicated to? No. No. So, um, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing is dedicated to Larry. It says to Larry. That is Larry Bloom. Mm-hmm. Larry Bloom is Judy Bloom's son. Larry is Fudge. Oh, that's right. I knew that. Mm-hmm. She based you know- all of those things on her son Larry's stupid antics. Larry is fudge. Larry That's is fudge. So awesome. It's also dedicated to a woman named Willie Mae Bartlett. Willie Mae Bartlett was Larry's babysitter. And Willie Mae cut out an article from the newspaper about um, a toddler who had eaten a pet turtle, a tiny <laughs> pet turtle. And she cuts it out and she brings it to her boss, Judy Bloom. And she says, I just thought maybe you'd want to write a book about this. Oh, Willie Mae. Wait a Willie go. Mae, the babysitter. And now we have a classic. By the way, that's going to be my next pet's name, Willie Mae. Willie Mae. Isn't that cute? I know. Oh, I thought Dribble was going to be your next pet's name. Mm, Dribble? No, it, it's too traumatic for me, Carolyn. Yes, I can't do <laughs> But the turtle! Where's the turtle? That's what Liam wanted to know. Where is it? Where's the turtle? Oh, God. Honey, he's dead. Um, I also have to share one more with you that nobody mentioned from our society. None of us mentioned it, but I feel it's important um, to mention it because I want to give a shout out to Miss Swartz again. Miss Swartz, I don't know if I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this that I had a lisp and I had said Miss Swartz. And so I had to go to speech therapy. Um, speech therapy, I had mean? Speech, 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 I had to go to speech, speech therapy. Speech therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, it was so quite, su- quite successful, your speech therapy. I, I know, it really worked. <laughs> and then I went in and I said, Hello, Miss Swartz, and everyone clapped. I want to bring up a, a book called The Toothpaste Millionaire, which is by Jean Merrill. Jean Merrill also wrote The Pushcart War, which always was also a big teacher read aloud in the 60s and the 70s. Toothpaste Millionaire was written in 1972, and it was made into an ABC after school special. And it's about a boy who starts a homemade toothpaste business and successfully fights off big toothpaste. You know, the big <laughs> toothpaste is trying to take him down and he wins. And I just... I just want to bring this up because I want to give a shout out to Ms. Swartz and to teachers like her, because I think Ms. Swartz was far more tuned into the world around her than and the issues that we had than we give her credit for, you know, with her cat eye glasses and her string of pearls <laughs> and stuff like that. Because now I know that she was probably sharing this book with us because of what was on the cover. The main character in the story was black. And it's not a book about the black experience Mm -hmm. at all. It's just about childhood experience. But she stood there every day holding that book with a black child on the cover, facing us on the rug, facing all of us, many of whom were black. And it was the only thing we had to look at. There are no pictures. And that small act sends a huge message to Mm -hmm. the class because It's basically saying children of color have stories, too. Your stories are worthy, too, because this was in pretty short supply when we were kids, unless you were talking about something that was issue oriented, civil rights oriented. Mm -hmm. There were very few stories that were just about the childhood experience that featured a black character. And if you don't have those books, then the opposite message will get through. Your stories are not worth sharing. Mm-hmm. So I think it really speaks to the power of that time that we had together, that read aloud time with our teachers. That was really quite radical of Ms. Swartz to be thinking of her students in this way. I realize it's the smallest of gestures, but that small gesture has outsized meaning. And mm-hmm. I just want to recognize Ms. Swartz and teachers like her who are looking out for all of her students at a time when that really was not the norm. 
Right. And just right. teaching and, and just teaching by example that all of our stories are universal, right? It doesn't yes. matter what color yes. our skin is. We all have stories that are similar and mm-hmm. you know, you don't it doesn't matter what color you are to want to um take down big toothpaste. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I want to and read I, that though. I don't remember that book. So it's now really I, after hearing that, I, it sounds so mm-hmm. cute. I'm going to find it. So yay, Miss Swartz. Thank you, Miss Swartz. Um, so as usual, we asked our society on social media about their read aloud memories, and most of them were written by just one of three authors. The vast majority of books mentioned were by Judy Bloom, Beverly Cleary, or Roald Dahl, in that order. Judy Bloom dominated, of course, with books like Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, Super Fudge, Freckle Juice, Blubber, and even, I swear to God, somebody even said, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, which I will forever, now I'm going to always call it, hey, God, it's me, Margaret, because that's the way the commenter put it in the comments. <laughs> hey, God, it's me, Margaret. It works. <laughs> just, I love it so much. Um, I've shared this story in our Judy Bloom episode. Miss Olson, my fourth grade teacher, started, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, as a read aloud. Right. And we, and we saw it down. on our desk and we were like, no, no. Like the recess was just so full of stress because like, no, she's not going to do this. <laughs> and she did read the first chapter. And the next day we had a new book to read. <laughs> <laughs> we would not be continuing That does bring with up hey a Margaret. good point though, Kristen, to remind our listeners that way back when we started this podcast in, in 2020, um, actually 2019, right? No, it was 2020. 2020. Starting yeah. again. Way back when we started this podcast, we have two episodes, back-to-back episodes, um, on Judy Bloom books. And that was those yeah. were really fun conversations. We have one mostly about all her books. And then we had to dedicate the second episode to forever <laughs> because obviously. Because obviously. <laughs> right. right. Um, one commenter uh, said that Blubber was read aloud in her classroom when there was a bullying problem. So mm-hmm. here was an example of a teacher picking the right book for the right moment. And Judy Bloom actually wrote Blubber when her daughter kept coming home with stories about the bullying that was taking place in her classroom. And Judy was so upset that the teacher wasn't doing anything about it. So writing Blubber was her way of doing something about it. You can tell what the book is about by the title, basically. Um, and one more comment about Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Oh, God, this is so great. Maine Skylark said, Mrs. Dixon read Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing to allowed to us in fourth grade. She exclaimed that she'd never seen the word P in print before and <laughs> laughed so hard. And then we all went up to her desk one by one to see the word P. I love I Mrs. Dixon. That she I was know. like, come on, you guys have to see this. Well, it's line, so great. <laughs> when I um, read that for the first time, because again, I can get distracted. So I was like, probably reading slower than my brain was going. I thought they got to go up to her desk and say the word P to oh. her. <laughs> and she was P. like, okay, yeah. So P. they were going P, 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 P. <laughs> well, we, we've talked about, a lot about Judy Bloom, but hand in hand, as far as great authors that we all love at that age in our lives is Beverly Cleary. And when people mention Beverly Cleary, you only need really to say one word. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. Ramona, right? Mm-hmm. And it was um, funny because it was like Ramona, Ramona, Ramona. Like, like reading Ramona. the comments, Ramona, Ramona. They don't give the book mm-hmm. title, just Ramona, Ramona. <laughs> but teachers also read Henry Huggins. Socks. Mm-hmm. Socks is one of my very first chapter books I read to myself, and I reread it for years. And you guys, look what I'm holding. 
It's my oh, original oh, hardback copy I of have that Socks. Too. And um, the pages are all kind of turning yellow, but I mean, my goodness, all the illustrations are just like old friends. Um, and Socks the mouse about the, the kitty cat. Yeah. The mouse and the motorcycle mm-hmm. is another uh, Beverly Cleary read aloud. Runaway Ralph are also, ti- those are also titles our social media fo- uh, followers mentioned. But I want to talk about Ramona for just a bit because Ramona is one of my very favorite literary characters to this day. The sass, the spunk, (laughs) the real feelings and emotions that we could all identify with. Um, I would play like I was Ramona all the time, and I would act out all the stories, and I would pretend I was jumping in the pit, or I would play Brick Factory outside and pretend Howie was next to me. Beezus and Ramona is the first in the series of eight and was published in 1955. And another one, I still have my original copy of. It's right here. And you guys talk about yellow pages. I'm actually afraid to open this book. I'm afraid they're all going to crumble up and fall. Um, Two books in the series, the Ramona series, were named Newbery Honor Books, Ramona and Her Father. Oh, I didn't know that. And Ramona Quimby, age eight. And Ramona and Her Mother received the National Book Award. Um, And just quickly, I'll remind you that the Ramona books grew out of the earlier Henry Huggins series, and they take place in the same neighborhood. But do you know why Beverly Cleary wrote them, the Ramona books? No, but I just have to say the word Clickitat Street. Go ahead. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Clickitat Street. Clickitat Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this comes from the Beverly Cleary biographical essay. So it occurred to Cleary while she was writing Henry Huggins that all of the characters she had created thus far had no brothers or sisters. Someone should have a sibling, she wrote. So I tossed in a little sister to explain Beezus' nickname. If you remember, Beezus is in the Henry Huggins book. She's Henry's Mm -hmm. friend. Um, So I tossed in a little sister to explain Beezus' nickname. When it came time to name the sister, I overheard a neighbor call out to another whose name was Ramona. I wrote in Ramona, made several references to her, gave her one brief scene, and thought that was the end of her. Little did I dream that she would take over books of her own. Uh, so she wrote Beezus and Ramona in 1955, but didn't return to them and write Ramona the Pest, the second book in the series, until she finished all the Henry Huggins books in 1968. So 13 oh. years went by between Beezus and Ramona oh, wow. and Ramona the Pest. I didn't know that. I didn't either. I thought they all came out in the 50s. I had no Absolutely. idea. Yeah. Wow. And then I found this quote in my research, um, and I love it. It says, Ramona's complexity was something unusual in children's literature. Seen through the eyes of any other character, she could be a real nuisance. But when Cleary wrote from Ramona's point of view, all the little girl's actions made perfect sense. And that goes that back to what, so one true. of the reasons she is one of my favorite literary characters. Besides her spunk, besides her spas- sass, it's because... I don't know of many other characters that could convey their emotions in such a like realistic manner that I could identify with as a child. Because she was naughty, but you oh. identified with her. She was naughty, but like she was. Yes, yeah, she was naughty, but I loved her, and I and I and loved her. I wanted to be naughty like Ramona was. I was the good <laughs> mm-hmm. girl. I I I sometimes tempered my naughtiness back. To not rock the boat, to not disappoint mm-hmm. anyone, to not. And so 
reading Ramona was almost an outlet for me, right? Because Mm -hmm. I wanted sometimes to be that naughty and I wanted to talk back and I wanted to say those things, but I didn't. And so Ramona to me was also, she was my hero. (laughs) And she wasn't naughty because she was a brat. She was naughty because she was acting out. And so we were, she was telegraphing to us that she's acting out because she has these feelings. She's feeling second banana to Beezus or she's feeling left out or, Right. right? She didn't get something that she wanted. Wanted. And so yeah. we all understood her angst. And so when she did something naughty, we're like, yeah. You right. go, mom girl. Has to go you back would... to work and mom's too busy to mm-hmm. do these things for me. She used to be able to do or whatever. And so she's feeling, she's feeling jealous. She's feeling resentful. She's feeling angry. And mm-hmm. she doesn't always know how to convey those emotions in a healthy way. So she does what most six seven, and seven-year-olds do. Yeah. And she has a good heart. So that's, she's, some people would think that when you do bad things, then you must be a bad person. But somehow Beverly Cleary was able to portray her as doing bad things and being a good person. Mm-hmm. And we all felt right. that. We all knew it. She wasn't it. malicious or anything. No, right. no, no. I love, and she was so, she was so funny. The fact that she named her doll Chevrolet. I just thought I got yeah. that as a kid, how <laughs> sweet that was and how naive she was, but how funny that was. And I don't remember who Bendix was, but Bendix, I think it was a doll with no hair. I feel so like that too. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. people were like, that is a really bad name. That's not a pretty name. You have to have a pretty name. She's like, it's beautiful. Bendix is uh-huh. beautiful. Oh. And also the I very know. real friendship with Howie. You know, sometimes yeah. she loved him, sometimes she hated him, sometimes he bo- he bothered her, sometimes she wanted to hug him, you know. Did you guys see the Ramona movie with Selena Gomez? And is it No, Joe I King? never did. You guys, it's good. It's worth, I mean, they made this movie 50 years after the books were I know, published. I remember and that. It's, it is good. And I, and I did not have very high expectations. And when Picky Picky dies, I, it destroys you. It destroys you when Picky Picky dies. Well, I, might have I to mean, we all know that Picky Picky dies. I didn't like spoil anything, yeah. right? I hope Everybody not. Knows. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I know. <laughs> Picky um, Picky. I, know. I just like Bendix. I'm going to name the cat Picky Picky. Picky Picky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got some deaths in some of these stories. Well, mm-hmm. um, the third author that was most named when we asked our followers who they remember read alouds from, um, Roald Dahl. He, um, he led the pack with James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and the Great Glass Elevator. And one of our followers shared with us, and I just love this because this was the book and the moment that she remembers. It was second grade. They, her teacher was reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And every day after lunch and recess, the teacher would distribute hunks of real chocolate for the students to nibble as they listen to each chapter. Teacher of the year. I want that teacher. Teacher of the year. Okay, I was a really nice teacher. I was not that nice. That's fantastic. Isn't that great? (gasps) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really giving them a little sugar there too. Mm -hmm. Um, But what a memory. Exactly. She'll never forget that. Talk about the collective experience. Yeah. Right. We all got to eat chocolate and listen to the story. And you'll also never forget that book. No. You'll never forget that experience. You'll never forget Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That will always be a happy memory for you. Well, and that's, again, what I think this read aloud um, episode is about. It's just that whole experience. It is your teacher holding the book, like you said before, Kristen, and staring at that cover. That's what we stared at while the teacher was reading <laughs> mm-hmm. and how it felt having our hair braided or um, having our back scratched mm-hmm. or getting to read the next chapter after the teacher was going to end the story. So um, 
I love that about this. Mm-hmm. My favorite, one of my favorite read alouds happens to be a Roald Dahl book, and it is Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator. And again, when I went back to read what the plot was, I'm not even going to explain the plot to you guys because it's too confusing for me to even <laughs> he was try confusing. to remember. Because there's some politics, the president is involved. But what I remember, again, are these specific scenes and the way that um, the scene was described and the imagery that has lasted in my head forever. I wanted to go in the great glass elevator. I cannot explain to you all how much I wanted to be in the great glass elevator. You could see everything. It was glass. <laughs> you, you could. <laughs> that's what glass I'm, That's glass. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so stupid saying it out loud, but it was so true. And everybody was in the gray glass elevator. Like, Charlie was in, and Grandpa was in, and they were able to Grandpa move Joe. the beds. Yeah. They were able oh, to move the beds inside the elevator. And Willy Grandpa Wonka George and there. Grandma Georgina. Yes. They were all <laughs> in the elevator made of glass. <laughs> But they were, they were flying around. Weren't they like flying over the yes, city? Yes, yes. It, it, originally, it was the great glass lift because it was only going to go up and down. But then, no, that's not right. And that's a that's British thing, too, right? Uh-huh. Isn't the lift yes. the British word for elevator? I believe it is. It is. Correct. <laughs> you're not only French, you're also British. I'm a little Damn. British. I speak British. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. But that that idea of this entire elevator <laughs> wow carolyn is i wish you guys listening i'm could on some see new carolyn. medication she is a- <laughs> we didn't need to we didn't need to tell him that but she's, she's like pantomiming the four she's my she's doing some miming guys the uh-huh. four besides Meming. the miming yes. in the elevator I'm thinking that I'm thinking we somehow need to get you a great glass elevator. Have you ever been in yes. Chicago up to like where you get to stand out on that platform and you're surrounded by glass? You could go there and pretend Ugh. you could play imagination that you're in the great glass elevator. Scary. I didn't realize it was so important to you. I love I, it. And I don't know why exactly, but those images stuck in my mind. Um, and I'm going to read you just one of the descriptors that I think was one of the things I remember the most. I don't know. Good luck editing. Wait, this. I want to know first how how old were you in when this book was read to you? Um, I would have been in fourth grade, actually. Okay, so you're like this, ten years old. This is pivotal. Yes, I was at mm-hmm. West Memorial Elementary. Um, I moved between third and fourth grade, so this would be fourth grade. And I love the book so much that I then went and checked it out of our school library. Oh. Yeah, do you all remember that? How once the, the teacher would start reading it, there would be just a run on that book at the <laughs> yeah. library? Mm-hmm. And you know, now that I think about it, that's probably one of the reasons it also sticks out in my mind. It might have been at that point one of the biggest, thickest books I had checked out. It was almost like the kind my mom would get maybe from mm-hmm. the library with the crinkle, mm-hmm. you know, the crinkle um, plastic, yeah, pl- whatever that was called. That Gosh, don't you love jacket? that sound, the wrapping yes. on the book? Yes. I love that it sound. It sounded adult to me. Mm-hmm. Like this is the kind that my mom would get. So I remember, I remember the cover. Um, and here's one of the scenes that made an impression. Memorable. Yeah, that thing. Stay with Carolyn today, everyone. Yeah, please. I don't know. The great glass lift was a thousand feet up and cruising nicely. The sky was brilliant blue. 
everybody on board was wildly excited at the thought of going to live in the famous chocolate factory. Grandpa Joe was singing, Charlie was jumping up and down, Mr. and Mrs. Bucket were smiling for the first time in years, and the three old ones in the bed were grinning at one another with pink toothless gums. (laughs) Everyone was so happy in the elevator. And you know... And everyone's not always happy in Roald Dahl books. There's some no, dark moments. I mean, James dark. and the Giant mm-hmm. Peach. Ooh, that mm-hmm. one gives me the shivers. But I loved the glass elevator. The I have never. Head. I cannot believe that I've not put this together before. So the great glass elevator is something that goes rogue and starts flying through the mm-hmm. air and right. goes on adventures. Hello, that's James and the Giant Peach. The peach goes rogue and starts flying through the air and they go on adventures. It's the same thing. That's true. I also would still like us to do a whole podcast episode on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with um, Gene. I almost said Gene Gene Wilder. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to see that. Same thing. Gene Simmons. They're interchangeable, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kind of the same. Um, James and the Giant Peach was a big one for me. I still have my copy. It is signed by Roald Dahl. Uh We're so impressed. We're like, I know. I know. I stood in line, thanks to Linda, thank you, Linda, because I wouldn't have known that Roald Dahl was coming to the bookstore at Dayton's. I stood in line at the Dayton's department store in downtown Minneapolis. The book department was on the fourth floor, RIP to department store, book book departments. Um, You know, your mom can go look at towels and you go to the book department? Come on. So I loved James and the Giant Peach. I was so enamored of it. And this is what they say in Barnes and Noble. Um, it's an older book. It was written in 1961. And a lot of the books that we're reading in the 70s were pretty new books. So this is kind of a throwback. Okay, so Barnes and Noble says, where would children's literature, especially British literature, be without the gift of orphans? <laughs> so many orphans. It's a nice literary device that gets a kid away from the confines of home and safety and onto doing things like Well, traveling the world inside a giant peach after rhinos eat your parents. (laughs) (laughs) So James goes to live with ever his parents are eaten by the rhinos. He goes to live with the mean, mean ants. Who is it? Ant Spick and Ant Ant Sprat. Ant Sprat. Yeah, it's like. I can't remember. Sprat and Sprat. I don't remember. I don't know. People are screaming at their radios right now. Ant Spick and Ant Span, but that's not it. Spork. (laughs) Spick and Split. Spick and Span. Ants. One was too fat and one was too skinny. Ants spick. Okay, so anyway, he goes to live. They're mean. And he goes to live with them. And then there's a Jack and the Bean. This is from Barnes and Noble still. There's a Jack and the Beanstalk type situation producing a house-sized peach, like as big as a house. And um, James heads off inside the giant peach where he meets a bunch of friendly insects. And the whole gang is off and running inside the peach on a fantastical adventure. It's very drug-induced. It's so somewhat drug-induced. drug-induced. And I loved it. I loved it so much. It's so All funny because world- I did not like that book. Oh, you didn't? In fact, I will bet you I never even made it through. I, I know I owned it. I can I can mm-hmm. picture it. But I'm going to get – there was a lot of Roald Dahl books that I don't think I made it all the way through. I loved all the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory ones, but I don't know. I think just because it was so bizarre. Mm -hmm. And to Mm -hmm. this day, I'm not – you know, I don't read – I don't like the genres of like science fiction or fantasy or anything like that because they don't make – it's just – it's almost too out there for me. Yeah. And I don't know – and usually I'm with you on that, Michelle. For some reason – 
James and the Giant Peach was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, All of Roald Dahl's books are frequently banned. He makes a lot of adults really uncomfortable. (laughs) And this is so, this is just, this is so par for the course. In 1986, in Wisconsin, the 80s were a big time for book banning. It's similar to what's happening right now. The 70s were great for children's literature. The 80s shut it down. (laughs) In Wisconsin in 1986, James and the Giant Peach was banned because religious groups thought a scene featuring a spider licking her lips could be taken in two ways, including sexual. They thought the spider was too sexual because she was licking her lips. Well, you know what? I think that says more about them than it does about Roald Dahl. Get your mind out of the gutter. Right? Where are they even fabricating with that? Yeah. Right. Mm. Grownups are so dumb. I swear. They also don't like the mean (laughs) ants. But here's how I feel about oftentimes adults are complaining about things that are uh, difficult. They don't like mean people. But in books, this is a really important way for children to learn about who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. It's a version of Mm -hmm. learning about right and wrong. If all the people in the books are good, uh, there's nothing to learn from that. Exactly. There's no story. There's no story. Um, they also don't like orphans. They don't like rhinos eating parents. All of that is too sad. And people often think that children should remain strangers to sadness, that that things are too sad. It's not good for children to learn about sadness. Um, and there's so much to be learned from grappling with emotions, as uh-huh. you all know, from being mm-hmm. on the floor and, you know, crying with your classmates when something sad happens. Uh-huh. Um, there were no shortage of sad books. On this list from our followers, like unbearably sad and one that was very common, not just in book form, but also in movie form in our classrooms in the 70s was where the red fern grows. So, yeah, talk about a collective experience. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is one of the two books that I have. I have memories of being read aloud to in my classroom. And I don't know what year. I'm going to say maybe fourth grade. Would you guys think that's about a fourth grade Mm -hmm. read aloud maybe? I I know it wasn't fifth, so I'm going to say third or fourth grade. Um, And I have very visceral memories of certain aspects of that book. I have certain things that are burned in my soul from this book. Um, So, of course, this is the book that we all remember because it made us ugly cry in school. Actually, Maine Skylark from uh, Instagram um, said, where the red fern grows in fifth grade when she was talking about what's a memorable book. And she said, even the boys cried <laughs> because that was a big deal to see that the boys were crying too. Um, and this book, um, it was published in 1961, written by Wilson Rawls and based on his own childhood in, in the Ozarks. I love how Wikipedia just says this about the book. This is how it starts. Where the Red Fern Grows is a sad children's novel by Wilson Rawls. <laughs> really it's a sad children's know. novel. I was like, oh, way to sell it. Sure, way to like bury the, bury the lead there because it's like so much more than that. Um, so what do we remember? We obviously remember the love between Billy and his dogs, old Dan and little Anne, of course. But what we remember the most is old Dan dying while trying to protect Billy from the mountain lion. Now, even if you didn't remember it was a mountain lion, it doesn't matter (laughs) because the dog dies and that's enough to spin you into the kind of grief you'd probably never known until then. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, I read it again last week and it holds up, people. That book holds up. There's so much more, though, about 
that book that I remember than old Dan dying um, that I just have feelings inside about that I almost can't describe. I got those lumpy feelings deep down inside when I read about Billy's trip to town to get the dogs when he was describing the ghost coon. I was like, ghost coon, yes, ghost coon. (laughs) Get out of this book, ghost coon. Um, And you guys, I think the most though, I think... The feeling that I have more than any other in this book is the feeling I get when Reuben Pritchard falls on the axe. And it's the blood is bubbling out. And I swear, I swear to you, I could remember how I felt as a child when I heard that read aloud. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, then there's the dog versus mountain lion part. And when I read this last week, I skimmed through it, that part. I couldn't read it word for Mm -hmm. word. I I can get Mm -hmm. it. I mean, I'm a pretty good skimmer. But I almost just couldn't take myself back to that place again. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't. So the novel, uh, like you said, Kristen, was also the basis of a 1974 film starring starring uh, Stuart Peterson, James Whitmore, Beverly Garland, and Jack Ging. I don't know if you know any of those people. Uh, Beverly Garland. Beverly Garland. What I think is more interesting, though, and I'm sure we saw that. I think it was one of those things that after the teacher – I'm almost positive Mm -hmm. after the teacher read it, she brought – you know, we wheeled in the big – the big film projector with the flappy film when the first reel goes out, flap, 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 flap. That flap. was going to be a good day when you walked in and saw <laughs> that movie projector. For you to, for you, Carolyn and Kristen, I want to ask you, what is like, my memory is of being just shocked out, just completely shocked because by the time in the book, when it happens, we love old Dan and little Anne. Like we love them as much as Billy does. And I feel like for me, it was one of the first books and stories that I can remember being read or experiencing where something that tragic and completely unexpected occurred. And so I think that's why I still have these emotions to this day because I was gobsmacked. So what about you? What about you guys? Like, what is your memory of that book? It's all about old Dan and the mountain lion. And I think the reason that this is so devastating besides the obvious and why as children, this is so devastating for us is because there's the relationship between the main character and this dog and the dog is trying to protect him. (laughs) Right. That just elevates the tragedy. It's not just that the dog died. It's not just that the dog even died in a violent manner. It's that the dog, I mean, I'm going to start crying now. Um, (laughs) Cut. Cut. Well, and and the, then little, I just remember feeling like, and then little Anne has to go on. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. And also, let's not forget, mm-hmm. little Anne's injured, too. And let's also not forget, old Dan doesn't die instantly. So Billy uh. kind of thinks he's going to be okay. And they get him back. And everyone's trying to nurse old Dan. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. It's devastating. It's this relationship. It's It's the fact that this boy and this dog are connected and the connection is severed. The connection is severed. And it's so well written. We feel that connection. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's right. And like, like you said, Kristen, when you were um, kind of introducing this um, section of sad books, how a lot of people think, Oh, kids shouldn't be that sad. This is a book that it's not like, yes, he ate the turtle. It's fine. Just move on with it. Yes. The turtle's Mm -hmm. gone, but fudge is going to be okay. This is a pet's death on an entirely different level. So you kind of do have to have some good conversation about it. And you could absolutely have kids who are gutted by this, who aren't just going to then go on to new math and forget that old Dan just died. These are kids that are going to take this with them. Um, 
raising my hand, you know, for the next Mm -hmm. few days and lay in bed at night and think about it at night and, and, you know, pray that maybe it didn't really happen. And that's a part of your growth, right? That's a part of your emotional growth right there. Mm -hmm. Well, and my experience with it, um, I was never read aloud as a student, so it was never read aloud to me. But this was one of my mainstays of reading aloud to my class. So I um, read this to my sixth graders every year. And I remember, I think it was my second year of teaching, um, I I like to think I was a really modern teacher. I gave my phone number out to everybody in the class and my parents um, and other teachers thought it was crazy for doing that. But anyway, um, we were reading Where the Red Fern Grows, getting to the part that we've just described, just heartbreaking. And um, I had a call the night before what would have been like the day I was going to be probably reading that part. And it was from a mom. And she said her son, who had read it maybe a year or two before on his own, didn't want to go to school the next day because he knew he was going to cry and he didn't want to cry in front of his friends. And she just wanted me to be aware and that he was going to talk to me about it the next day in class. And, um, and sure enough, we did talk and he was, you know, kind of saying he maybe wanted to be in the hall or do something else. And I, we talked it through. I wasn't going to tell him, no, you have to be in the classroom. Right, Right. But he ended up, um, being in there. He was in there and, um, Again, this collective experience, he saw his classmates cry. He saw other boys cry. He saw oh, wow. me cry. And I think that it's it was such a powerful moment in so many ways. It was this shared emotional moment. And at that point in, let's say I lived in, or I was teaching in Virginia, kind of Southwest Virginia. I mean, boys are boys there. That's just kind of yeah. how it was. Um, so it was a really big growth moment for especially that boy, but for me as a teacher, and again, we talked about it as a class, but um, that's my memory of it, Mm -hmm. Um, just piercing in terms of um, how I saw my kids, and I don't think I ever saw all of them the same way again either. It's really, it's exposing everybody's humanity. And now, a word from our sponsor. If you like what you hear, let us know by becoming an official supporter of the Pop Culture Preservation Society on Patreon. This show is created, researched, produced, distributed, edited, and paid for by us, Kristen, Carolyn, and Michelle. And your support allows us to keep the lights on and keep on trucking. For the price of one or two cups of coffee a month, you can become a supporter by going to poppreservationists.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Or go to our link in bio on Instagram and find the Patreon link in our link tree. We appreciate you and thank you so much for helping us do what we love. Okay, palate cleanser, palate cleanser. Um, there, so <laughs> amongst the books that our that our um, society members mentioned, there was one category that did reign supreme, that really dominated. And that was animal stories, books with animals in it. And I point that out because this is kind of a thing of the past. It's not that we don't have any books featuring animals anymore, but it's not all of them. If you looked at this list that our, that our listeners provided, it's almost all animal stories. And I, and it's really good stuff too. My favorite read aloud of all time is Cricket in Times Square. It's written by George Selden. It's 1960, won the Newbery Honor in 1961. And it's illustrated by, bum, bum, any, bum. anybody have any guesses? 
Is it Garth? Garth is yes. it Garth Williams? <laughs> yes, it's Garth Williams. I actually didn't know that for sure, but when you said that. <laughs> I can see my copy in my head and I can yes. see that illustration on the cover. And so I'm thinking, who does that look like? Who does that look like? And then the way you said it and longtime listeners, you'll That's know right. Garth Williams is sort of the godfather yes. of, um, of our podcast. <laughs> He's another one of our mascots. <laughs> yes. We love mm-hmm. George. I mean, we love uh, Garth, Garth and George. Um, yeah. So I think um, this, so this book has, um, several characters, but our main character is, um, is Chester and Chester is a cricket and he is found by a young boy whose name is Mario and Mario wants to keep Chester as a pet. And his mother, Mario's mother is not very excited about this. Chester, um, one of his many gifts is that he can play beautiful music, but the way that, that, um, George Selden describes Chester playing this music. I can just see the little legs and the wings, like <laughs> in my head. I can picture those. And every time I hear a cricket, I think of this story and this book. Oh God, I love it so. It's so much. lovely. I love this book so mm-hmm. much. It is that cricket. And the playing of the music and the way that it's described, um, there's like symphonies that Chester can play. And I just, it just has always stuck with me. And I, mm-hmm. I love crickets because of it. <laughs> and That's it makes so it all funny. the more shocking at the end when Mario eats uh, Chester. Just kidding. <laughs> But it is kind Don't of sad. Don't do that to Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> yes, no, I know that. That was the so ending. funny. Uh, Christian started laughing immediately. You should have seen Carolyn's look. She looked like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess in a way, because I was like, no, that's Bring not Bringing it right back ending. full circle to uh, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Okay, so it's still in the category um, of animal stories, but also intersecting with sad stories is the book that easily got more mentions than any other book from our followers on Instagram, and that is Charlotte's Web. In fact, I think Charlotte's Web, I believe, could be the most well-known book of any of any book, of any book, adult book, children book. It could be the most known book Ever. It won a Newbery Honor in 1953. That means it was a runner-up. It did not win the award. It was a second place. And can you, I mean, can you even name the winner? Can you, like, the 1953? Who was the first place? If Charlotte Webb gets second place, who got first place? No fair if you're a librarian or some shit. Um, but no, you can't. You can't because it pales in comparison to Charlotte's Web. It was Secret of the Andes, by the way. Raise your hand if you've read that. Oh, the old classic. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep quoting from Barnes & Noble. Um, Barnes & Noble says about Charlotte's Web, by the way, you guys, Barnes & Noble is not the bad guy anymore. Um, Barnes & Noble, we can, we have to support Barnes & Noble. If you remember from You've Got Mail, the Tom Hanks is right. the Barnes & Noble owner. Right. And Meg Ryan has the little shop across the street. And Tom Hanks is going to put her out of business. That that era is over. We have to make sure that Barnes & Noble stays in business because they have actual stores. Actual stores. Okay, mm-hmm. so Barnes & Noble says, that's my little soapbox. Barnes & Noble says, this beloved book by E.B. White, author of Stuart Little and the Trumpet of the Swan, is a classic of children's literature that is just about perfect. It's a tender novel of friendship, love, life, and death. There we go. Here we go. More death. Um, that will continue to be enjoyed by generations to come. It contains illustrations by fill in blank 
Garth Williams. Garth Williams. Mm -hmm. The acclaimed illustrator of Stuart Little and the Laura Ingalls Wilder Little House series and, of course, Cricket in Times Square. So, as a little refresher here, Charlotte's Web is about a girl named Fern who rescues a runty pig named Wilbur from being slaughtered by her farmer dad. And do you remember as kids going, what, you're going to kill the pig because he's too little and i was the short girl in the class so i was like come on (laughs) come on so um she rescues him and wilbur grows up big and fat and makes friends with templeton the rat and the geese and all the animals in the barn and a benevolent spider named charlotte who can weave words into her web extolling the virtues of wilbur like some pig and uh-huh. radiant, all to convince the farmer that Wilbur is worth saving. The peril in this book is extreme. The whole oh. time you're trying to keep Wilbur from being slaughtered with an axe, by the way. Like there's a picture of the farmer carrying an axe. Like they're not just gonna like <laughs> give him some funny gas lots and put him out. Lots of axes in books. Lots back of in axes. The 70s, yeah. Lots oh, of. Well, peril. these were all written in the 50s and 60s. So lots of axes. Yeah, yeah that's, mm-hmm. that's a go-to murder weapon. Ugh. So, yeah, those were around. You. You may also remember, you guys might remember from our picture book episode, um, that I may or may not have stalked a certain picture book author in a town called Blue Hill, Maine, on my honeymoon, on my honeymoon, Mm -hmm. and my husband was all in, which is why we're married. Um, It turns out that Blue Hill, Maine is famous for one other thing that would be exciting to a book nerd like me, because it is the home of the Blue Hill Fair. The Blue Hill Fair was E.B. White's inspiration for Charlotte's Web. Really? For the story of Fern and Wilbur and Charlotte. Yes. So, I'll just ask you, do you think I've ever been to the Blue Hill Fair? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I have. And please tell me at the Blue Hill Fair, they do really cute things like put spider's webs up in the corners with words in them and stuff like that. You guys, it is everything it is one of the peak experiences of my whole life wow going to the Whoa. blue hill fair yeah it's just a tiny little fair it's no big deal um we went Le- when liam was seven and we stayed in this little b&b in town that was like in a, a barn and we finished reading the book the night before we were to go to the fair so we have like one chapter left of course what happens in the last chapter y'all oh, charlotte, charlotte dies yeah I'm basically reading the last chapter in a whisper because my throat is so tight with grief because Charlotte is dying. I just have to wonder how many teachers cried while they read this. Um, Yes, Michelle, the fair has a little place called Zuckerman's Farm. And it's a tent where you've got some pigs and there's a spider in the corner that they make go up and down (laughs) and there's some geese. It is just the sweetest thing Ever. And I'm not sure that my family was as into it as I was, but I walked around like I was fucking fern that day. I mean, it was it was so great. It was so great. I did go to a tractor pull and I this is one of my favorite lines I've ever heard. I'd never been to a tractor pull before. And after a somebody's performance in the tractor pull, I would hear people they'd turn to each other and they'd go, Nice pull. Nice pull. <laughs> nice pull. <laughs> There were lots of blueberries, blueberry pie. I have pictures oh. of old people eating blueberry pie. I mean, it was just as quaint and you quintessential. Just picture, you just took pictures of random people, eat, random old people eating I did. blueberry pie? Yes, I absolutely <laughs> did. Yeah. And pigs. Yeah. And <laughs> it was so great. That's really but here cute. we go with the book banning again. So in 2006, Wait, a school in Kansas. No. No. Oh, oh, yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not, this is not a single incident either. This has also been banned many, many times. Um, and in 2006, a school in Kansas banned Charlotte's Web because, and I quote, talking animals are blasphemous and unnatural. And they also objected to passages about the spider dying. Um, they thought that was inappropriate subject matter for a children's book. And you guys, it's 2006. It's, it's not like pilgrim yeah. times. And it's also it's the circle thinking, of life. She dies and then, but then all her babies are born. And do they think that they've like, this book has been around for a long time. Like in 2006, you think, oh, we are the ones who have found this. <laughs> like, that's just so bizarre to me. Like it's lasted uh-huh. this long. Yeah, no. Why do you think that you are the one who's discovered this blasphemous subject Do matter. they also object to every animated Disney movie ever made? The talking all, animals, like, do right? Do they not, like, Winnie the Pooh? Can Is Winnie the Pooh blasphemous also? How many talking... They're talking animals in everything. Uh-huh. So some of the other animal stories our society members shared were Wind in the Willows, Trumpet of the Swan, Misty of Chincoteague. Did I say that right? You did, Chinkatee. Uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nem, Banicula, Julie of the book. Wolves, Island of the Blue Dolphins, and there's so many more. And um, those of you so listening, many. if you want to hear the entire list of read aloud titles our society members shared, stick around after our sign off when we will read you the entire list. It's a good one. It's a good list. So there are two more categor- categories that got a lot of votes from our people. Um, well, not categories as much as series, I guess. Both the boxcar children and the books of Laura Ingalls Wilder popped up mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. And the Little House books in particular, they deserve their own episode because people have so many feelings about this. And there's also a lot of controversy about those books at this point, too. So there's a lot to talk about. And we will discuss Laura Ingalls Wilder later. So stay tuned. Um, so let's wrap it up, I think, by sharing a list of the books that you remember your teachers sharing. Um, and I... Uh, I don't know why this is so pleasing to me to be like, first Miss Swartz read this, and then Mrs. Bullwig read this, and then I'm Miss Swartz read this. I cannot believe that you read There's this. There's no way. I know. And Maybe I don't remember lying. all of them. She's lying. Oh, yeah. I that's what I just made lying. Stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> I do How think it's interesting, know? though, that I have a lot from Miss Swartz, and I have fewer and fewer as time goes on. And I don't know if that's because they read fewer books or I don't remember the ones they read. Um, well, and they got longer too. I think the books as we oh, aged, true. like that, the mm-hmm. novels were a little bit longer. I think. So, Miss Swartz in second grade read Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, Mister Popper's Penguins, The Littles. I love The oh, Littles. Love one of my favorite book and, series ever. Yes, Sorry, it was it one of the first chapter books that I could read because <laughs> they were really quite short, mm-hmm. right? Um, Soup and Me, The Toothpaste Millionaire, I mentioned Trumpet of the Swan and Charlotte's Web. Mrs. Bullwig was my third grade teacher. She read Runaway Ralph. Runaway Ralph. Oh my God. <laughs> Runaway Ralph by Beverly Cleary. And she read Ben and Me, which is about Ben Franklin and a little mouse. We have more talking animals. Um, and then Miss Olson was my fourth grade teacher who tried to read Hey Margaret. <laughs> it's, wait. Hey God. Hey God. Hey God. It's me, Margaret, for just one chapter, just the one chapter. And then I don't remember what she started reading after that. Well, I already mentioned that the two books total that I remember being read to me by teachers do not remember the teachers or the grade, but that's where the red fern grows and how to eat fried worms. Um, those are the only ones that I really remember. I remember almost all these other titles, but my memories of all those books are reading them to myself and having them in my own mm-hmm. library or checking them out from the library. But I wanted to just share. So what I thought I'd do 
is just share a short list of the favorite books I read aloud to my fourth and fifth grade students each year. Um, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, like I said. And even if it was a bit young for them when I taught fourth grade, they loved it because Peter was a fourth grader like them. And it was just so funny and they, they loved it. Uh, Bridge to Terabithia, like I said, wasn't mean, yes, but so much good discussion came from that. Blubber, I always read because it did lead to such great discussions about bullying. And I don't care if you're having that as an issue in your classroom currently or not, it's always a good good lessons uh, to, to learn and, and good conversations to have with the mm-hmm. kids. Um, Tuck Everlasting, talk about great discussion. Oh, yeah. And I read um, Hatchet. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hatchet, but oh my oh, God, yeah. the kids were on the seat, the edge of their seats every day. That was a huge favorite. That's a Number one. the Stars by Lois Lowry is one of my favorite yeah. books um, that I had read. I wasn't familiar with that one until I was a teacher, and I loved that one. Great discussion, too, especially um, about World War II. Right. Yes. And then Mm -hmm. have you guys ever read The Giver? I'm sure you have. But The Giver was also, it's a very mature book. And it was almost, I I see that one being banned as it gets older. Oh, that's banned. But I read it aloud to my fifth graders. And wow, Mm -hmm. that was, we did a whole unit on that. So um, also listeners, those, all those titles I just read, those are all, those all hold up. Those are great books to read as an adult today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially The Giver. You can read that right Mm -hmm. now. Oh yeah. I read that when my... Kids had to read it in, I think they read it in middle school, Um, but I read my own copy along with them, and yeah, that was great. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, so my, as I've already mentioned, some of my favorite read-alouds were How to Eat Fried Worms, Cricket in Times Square, Charlotte's Web, which we just talked about, Runaway Ralph, The Borrowers, Stuart Little, and I realized I don't like TV shows and cartoons where animals talk and are right. like humans, but give me a good book with the animals as, you know, with human qualities, and I am all over it. That's so Put a mouse on a motorcycle, so and I, I am riding right along with them. So, yeah. So not only do we remember all of these books fondly, the books of our generation are uniquely good. Most of the books we mentioned are still in print today. I don't know that we mentioned any that are not in print, proving that there's still demand for them in the marketplace. That says a lot mm-hmm. in this rapidly changing um, and very disposable culture that we have right now. Our Things run through our culture so fast, right? A TV show is popular and then nobody's talking about it anymore. But these books are still with us. 50, 45 years later. So do you have fond memories of Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing or Beezus and Ramona or Charlotte's Web? Read it. Read it right now. A good book is a good book, no matter who it's written for. And reading a book from your childhood can be as satisfying as sitting down to watch a rerun of The Brady Bunch. I once got amazing help from a librarian who tracked down a book for me that I read when I was a kid. And I didn't know the title. All I knew, I could, didn't, couldn't even tell her the plot. All I knew was that there was an old Swedish man who was a diver. His name was Ivor, and he got the bends. <laughs> and she found it. She found it. It was called Deep Trouble. Thank you, librarian. Um, all of this is to say, this is not weird. It's good for you. And there are people out there supporting you. Thank you for listening today and go forth and read like the wind. Yes, thanks for listening. And if you'd like to get more information about today's episode, sign up for our newsletter, The Weekly Reader. 
Each Friday, we send an email giving you access to our sources, our inspiration, and any books or music we may have mentioned. You can sign up on our website at poppreservationists.com. And if you like what you've heard, and we hope you do, please give PCPS a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to tell your friends and follow along where you listen. We love hanging out with you. And if you'd like to take your support to the next level and get fun, exclusive content in return, please consider joining our growing group of Patreon patrons. Just click the link in the show notes or in our Instagram bio or go to our website. And this week, we are giving a special thank you to patrons Maria, Colleen, Donna, Darby, Joanne, Angie, and Amy. Thanks so much. The PCPS is made possible by people like you. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the Threes Company gang. Yes, even the Ropers. (laughs) Two good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. All right. Thank you, listeners, for sticking around. If you'd like to know all of the books that uh, your fellow Gen Xers had read to them in the classroom, here we go. Stick with us. Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, Super Fudge, Freckle Juice, Blubber, Hey God, It's Me Margaret. That's not what it's called. I'm just, <laughs> are you there, God, It's Me Margaret? Um, Beezus and Ramona, any Ramona book, really. Henry Huggins, Socks, Mouse and the Motorcycle, Runaway Ralph, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I put here Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, but now I know that's not the title. It's The Great Glass Elevator. James and the Giant Peach, Little House in the Big Woods, Little House on the Prairie, The Boxcar Children, Where the Red Fern Grows, Bridge to Terabithia, uh, Cricket in Times Square, Wind in the Willows, Trumpet of the Swan, Charlotte's Web, Mis- Misty of Chincoteague, King of the Wind, Flowers for Algernon, Gentle Ben, Junket, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, Benicula, Julie of the Wolves, Island of the Blue Dolphins, Frog and Toad are Friends, The Black Stallion, Ben and Me, Follow My Leader, Rabbit Hill, The Littles, The Borrowers, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, Phantom Tollbooth, Indian in the Cupboard, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Pippi Longstocking, Wrinkle in Time, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Wizard of Oz, The Hobbit, The Toothpaste Millionaire, Secret Garden, Homer Price, Lord of the Fries, the, Lord of the Fries? Lord, <laughs> that's in the McDonald's book. Lord of the Flies, The Outsiders, The Great Brain, Carolyn Haywood books, that would be B is for Betsy or Betsy's Little Star, One Fat Summer, Sarah Plain and Tall, How to Eat Fried Worms, Snow Treasure, From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. I love that. I love that book too. I love saying it. I do too. Soup and Me, Nancy Drew books, The Pilgrim's Progress. Who had that read in the classroom? (laughs) And there you go. The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Spread a little love and it will keep moving on Something always happens whenever we're together We get a happy feeling when we're singing